what's next? What's next on the horizon for your career? What's that next thing that you're going to do? Odds are you're in the middle of something. Maybe you've just been at a place for a few months. Maybe you've been there for a few years, but you're in the middle of something and trying to figure out what's the next thing that's coming up for you. How do you make that successful transition? Move your way up, move your way sideways, move yourself into a different type of role. What does that look like and how do you do it? Well, today we talk all about transitioning your role from one place to the next, all today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Seth on. Seth is going to talk to us about really transitioning from, from one role to the next. He has been in an opportunity to really think and think through and been afforded the luxury to think through of the timing of moving from one opportunity to his next. What does it look like? How do you get there? And also one of the things that he talks about is it's not age bound. It's not a, well, at a certain age, you start to think about what's next for you. He's actually thinking about this and been thinking about this through his entire career. So if you're thinking about transition, if you're not thinking about transition, but you should be thinking about transition, if even the word transition is interesting to you, you need to listen to Seth. This is a great conversation. Let's take it away, Seth. Seth, we start this off every person, every time with this fundamental question, who are you and why the heck are you here? Well, uh, I think it was a court ordered um, <laughs> issue for me to be here. So I'm, I'm just doing my time here, Todd. Uh, actually, officer uh, set this up. Uh, I am a uh, marketer uh, at heart and um, I'm here to share as much as I can. Uh, I love listening to podcasts. I want to give back a little bit and hopefully um, entertain and um, educate uh, as much as I can. And have other people learn from my mistakes. So perfect. I love that. All right. Great. It's a great place for us to start. So, you know, you've had this, um, I'll call it a non-traditional career. Although honestly, it, what's traditional anymore, right? Nobody sort of ascends the corporate ladder from one, you know, one company and just sort of works their way through and is a lifer. Uh, people are jumping around and going to different organizations. They're finding new models that work. So, You've had a series of successes where you've been a consultant, then you've gone back and gone and become like a traditional CMO, and then you become a consultant again, and you've ebbed and flowed between those, which is something I, you know, we want to spend some time talking about. But it was the one thing that I, I started off with that I think is a great place for us to start the conversation of, okay, you're thinking about the evolution of your career. And, and you know, I, I somewhat jokingly called it an existential crisis, but Maybe that's a little close to the truth. Tell me what's going on with you right now in terms of this fork in the road for you and, and how you got here and what are the things you're starting to think about? And then we'll go from there. So um, I had a, a recent exit as a CMO of a company called Altrix, which is data science and analytics, and the company's done quite well. Uh, rocket ship type of stuff. So uh, I actually have an interesting um, fork in the road, I guess, is do I want to go back and, and, and do what I've been um, kind of typecast to do, which is fine as long, you know, there's, it's work, right? So part of, part of it's fun and amazing and other parts of his work, which is fine, which is great. Or do I want to um, take some of my time and do volunteer work? Do I want to start working with some startups, help some founders um, and, and just, not step back into the corporate culture? And um, the answer is yes for both. So uh, <laughs> the only thing that I know is that I'm, I'm at home a lot more than I have been. And there's, you know, people actually go work out during the day. And, you know, it's not like restaurants are, are empty and stuff like that. So there's a whole world going on that's very interesting to, um, uh, to look at. But the pace is quite different, right? So yeah, um, I have... Uh, the fortitude and, and a lot more um, dry powder to, to, to see what else is out there and how else can I help as well. I just got to figure out what, what's the right um, approach and where do I want to go? Well, the thing I think that's really interesting here with this is, so I, I read and see a lot on, on when things aren't going well 
what to do next, right? You've lost your job. You've, you know, you've been forced out, you've exited, you um, you find yourself, you know, out of a job. What do you do? And there's all these great blogs and podcasts on, you know, the 10 steps to make sure that you land your next great role. But what I don't hear a lot of, and some of us are fortunate enough to go through what you're going through is, hey, you had a successful event. Like you had something that was, you know, you had a series of these actually that were sort of life affirming, put you in a really great place. And so now you have an opportunity, not out of say desperation or need, but you've got an opportunity to start thinking about what you want to do because things have gone well for you. And so there's a, there's a piece here that's really interesting of, okay, what do you do after success? And, and I don't think there's enough discussion around people that are in your place right now, which is things are going great. Okay, what do I do? And now I've got some opportunity to think about what's these next steps in my life. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's a, it's a time. Uh, uh, it's, I don't think it's an age thing because this could happen to somebody that hit success earlier on in their career. I actually um, had two or three different types of careers. You know, I went to film school. I went to graduate film school. I started my, my career in the entertainment industry. Um, uh, was an entrepreneur, had some startups, failed at some startups, stuff like that. It was only until I really joined the corporate world uh, <laughs> in 2006 that I started accumulating, you know, investing into 401ks and things like, like that. And I was fortunate to join into it and then LifeLock and then Altrix. And then um, uh, I guess by my nature, um, my wife and I are kind of cheapskates, you know, so uh, we're, we just kind of hoard our, our cash and drive like 10 year old cars and things like that, that, um, I've been able to, um, look up one day and say, Oh my gosh, you know, um, even though I'm not working, um, what do I really want to do next? Because, um, the, the frugal life we live, unless, unless I develop, um, a cocaine habit or something <laughs> like that, which I'm plan on doing, I think that, um, I could probably, uh, you know, keep clipping my coupons. And it's so funny because, you know, the cliche is like some of the wealthier people are some of the cheapskates. I'm like the king of like punch cards and loyalty and coupons and stuff <laughs> like that. I just love that stuff. It kind of like the implication makes me tick of that. Well, so I think the one thing I have to comment on is, you know, Seth, just be careful because no one plans on having a cocaine habit. So I'm just going <laughs> to just going to throw that out there. Right. Just you've you've been warned here publicly live on the podcast. So I don't even we'll, like taking aspirin. I'm telling you. So, so we'll see. <laughs> so we're, we're probably we're probably in safe territory okay. there. OK, yeah, okay. who okay. I was worried about you there for a second. All right. The um, the the second piece that I. I I you know really heard from you though is so you've you've got a lifestyle that works for you right you've got this mm -hmm. frugal lifestyle you love the sort of gamification of that and it's afforded you with some of the successes you've had this opportunity to really think about what your next steps are and I love that you started this off with this isn't age bound this isn't a I'm at a certain age in my career and now I want to figure out what's my last chapter this is really you've got an opportunity here to really go in any direction you want and this is an interesting proposition. I've talked to one or two other people that have said it's actually in some ways more stressful than trying to go find something out of, I need to go work. I need the money. I need to pay the mortgage. Because in some ways you have this, this cornucopia of opportunity, which in itself can be a little daunting. Like, okay, there's so many different directions I can go. So let's talk a little bit about how you're thinking about it, how you're handling it, what's going on in your head as you think about, okay, now I've got this wealth of opportunity in front of me and, and what do I want to go do? I try to create some principles around this because I'm fortunate that um, through LinkedIn and through connections, I'm getting a lot of inbound um, just requests uh, just randomly. Like in a given week, you might have two or three different or more or none, but just it just ebbs and flows with different types of opportunities. So if a recruiter calls me and says, you know, you've got a really interesting background, um, what is it that you want to do next? It really is a great question. And it's up to me to, um, to be as um, outspoken about it. So I'm not wasting their time and they're not wasting my time. The last thing I want to do is waste executives' times as well. So some of my principles, and this is so personal because it, you have to know yourself. And 
I'm not just going to trick anybody into hiring me. And I, I basically start out with, here's the four reasons why I'm not right for this job. And if we can get past this and you, and you still disagree, then maybe we should continue talking. But I'm trying to talk myself out of situations or opportunities before yeah. I even, like, talk, consider them. And so for me, as an example, um, it's much more qualitative. And I would say that the one word that I think about um, that is very qualitative is remarkable. I'm looking for a remarkable opportunity. And Todd, a remarkable opportunity to me is different than a remarkable opportunity to you or one yeah. of your customers. And so some of the things that have um, evolved that I realized looking back that have got me in the position where I am is that psychographically, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm somebody that's that um, loves to be out of their comfort zone, right? I like that. Um, I like stretch goals. I've been the throat to choke, but, but uh, in terms of like, you know, leads and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of like the type of organizations that I've been successful at, I've been a change agent and somebody that is literally said hundreds of times in front of my team as a leader, maybe hopefully courageously, I'm not afraid to get fired. I'm not afraid to get fired over anything. And so that was the first thing I learned early on and into it as, as my first corporate gig was that people are, are risk averse and I'm just generalizing. But if there's an opportunity that comes along and I, you know, will talk to the recruiter or talk to the CEO and say, are you ready for somebody like me? And is this, are you scared? Which is fine. The other thing too that I learned is um, I've made mistakes before and some of them is um, discarding opportunities based on the subject matter. But if you took a crystal ball and I'm in film school or graduate film school and you showed me that I would be telling, I would be selling tax software for a living at TurboTax or back office accounting at QuickBooks, you know, or identity theft protection at LifeLock or data science and analytics at Altrix, I would have taken that crystal ball, smashed it into the ground, looked up to the heavens and screamed, no, no. But, <laughs> but I realized that psychographically, you know, if you take the strengths finders test, I'm a learner. It's one of my five strengths mm. and I friggin' love it. And so like all these opportunities that come my way um, that I'm not typecast for happen to be in different types of genres. That is one of my favorite things is to learn a new business and then apply my thinking and my marketing techniques to that. You know, what's fascinating you were talking about is you're, is you were talking about your sort of principles and establishing your principles. And, and one of them really here is knowing yourself, right? You, you know what you're looking for, but at the same time, you also know what your strengths, weaknesses, your, your persona is. And it's interesting. So talking to entrepreneurs and talking to a lot of uh, bold founders, what I've found is that most of them are willing to go in and take that leap off the cliff that they're, they're willing to sort of try and go do something new. And that's their, their personality. They're just wired that way. In fact, they're miserable when they don't have those opportunities. And then there's another sort of set on the other side of things, right? The counterbalance to that, which is I'm, I'm risk averse. I don't want change. I want predictability. I like the comfort of corporate America and being in my role and knowing what I'm doing. And those people can be highly successful and very motivated. And that's not a negative to say this as a positive. It's just the counterbalance. It's a different personality. And so taking somebody who is risk averse and making them a founder or entrepreneur, putting them in that situation is, well, tantamount to disaster. Similarly, putting somebody in a box and saying, you can't move outside of this little cubicle that is someone like you who wants to take the risk and wants to learn and wants to evolve, that's a slow, painful death by a thousand cuts. And right, so I love that you've really identified who you are and you're even walking in and saying, hey, are you ready for somebody like me, right? That's, I love that. Like, that's fantastic of presenting yourself in this way to these organizations and knowing who you are and where your fit is. Well, let me give you an example. So right now, one of the opportunities that I'm exploring is whether uh, it's the right fit mutually for me to assume a CMO role at a private equity firm. I won't say the name, but uh, they're, they're doing over $100 million a year in revenue, and they've installed a first-time CEO. And from my interactions, this CEO could tend to be risk-averse. 
And I have an issue with that. But it's so um, um, heavy handed by the private equity folks and the team that are uh, representing the PE and the investors that I, that will come up in those discussions. And if those people support someone like me, then I feel more comfortable rather than, you know, uh, a risk averse CEO and a risk averse board. At least if the board knows, you know, um, I think one of the things that I realized too is in my last couple jobs, I was one of the only um, uh, lateral moves. So a lot of times when you're working with people who are then being promoted to chief strategy officer or chief product officer, whatever it is for the first time, um, they might not be as, um, uh, you know, risk-taking as possible because it's their, it's their, their, their scope is much bigger. And so um, they're just trying to feel their way, which is, uh, which is a natural evolution in a way. Yeah. Well, the thing that started getting me, you know, thinking on this as well, and I think one of the things that would be interesting for people in the audience that are listening to this is this sense of knowing yourself. So I can go back in my career and look at my roadblocks, the, the places where I wasn't as successful as I could have been or should have been, or if they even ended up in disaster, like call them mistakes, right? And I can look back on it now and look at the personality type of the leader that was there in front of me, whether that was the CEO or someone in the other executive team, and look at my personality and see that it really came down to the personality clash between us in terms of what we wanted and what the fit was. And it had less to do with the organization or the direction or some economic downturn or some other external factor. It really came down to that personality clash. You know, with me being a sort of banner waver, let's go, you know, rush in Braveheart style and go in and conquer a market and and having somebody who might have been sort of like, well, let's hold back and let's take our time. And again, those those are great, you know, great leaders that have that style, but it didn't mesh with me. And, you know, who was going to win that argument? Right. They were. So it's great that you've got this sense of who you are and where you fit and you look at this eyes wide open because I think it does give you the opportunity to be really successful in your future engagements because you're partnering or pairing yourself with somebody that's going to really complement your skills. So um, it's interesting because I never thought about this until recently, but uh, let's use the baseball analogy and, you know, you'll hear, oh, we're in the third inning of a long journey or, you know, Facebook will say we're in the first inning or first day or whatever that is. Right. right. I might say that. But um, I also think as a potential employee for me personally, and if I'm somebody in your audience that might be a hiring manager or a leader out there, uh, I actually, as I said earlier, I, I try to talk myself out of getting jobs and say, here's the four reasons why I might not be right. I also actually have been thinking about this a lot lately, Todd. It's, um, I might be right for the first two years, maybe not year three or year four. Who talks like that, right? So, so what employee, like, it's almost like an unspoken, like, oh, we want you at our company and we want you here for a long time and forever. But the things that I can do and what I've proven time and time again are about change and innovation. Um, and if you are a culture of innovation, and um, you want to foster that um, in the first three innings or innings four, five, and six, that might be what's right. How do you scale? And if you look at like, you know, my last couple companies, we were hyper scaling, hyper growth. Once you reach a certain saturation point, then you might want to be more operational, right? How do you get, how do you process thousands of deals? Yeah. Um, and it's also interesting too, because uh, my point is, is that it's the right place and the right time, and it might not be the right time next year, but for this, for this phase of the company, these are the right types of employees that you need, and then you might want to just relook at that. It also goes for uh, if I am uh, uh, trying to lead a charge for marketing and, and, and help salespeople. So I mentioned a culture of innovation. Um, knowing who your prospects are and not foisting what your company stands for on them. But if you actually have a say-do ratio where you are a culture innovation, and then you map to prospects and filter them out by which ones say that they want to foster a culture of innovation. So if, if you know, I'm trying to sell Altrix, I'm looking for companies that are ready to embrace 
um, evolution of data and data science and technology. So I know I'm like, I'm just broadening out this example. My first part is, um, am I right for it in this phase? And then I was just adding on to it to hopefully be helpful to um, executives um, by um, it's a big world out there. And can you um, align your organization from tops down with prospects who share the same types of um, goals and culture? Well, and this, this may not lead us anywhere, but one of the things that I, I, I found interesting with what you were just saying is, you're right, who goes in and talks like that and says, okay, I'll be, I'll be great for you for two years. Right. Um, and and I, what I hear from a lot of executives and certainly a lot of recruiters is, so what's your five-year plan? What's your seven-year plan? We want people that have been here for long periods of time. We want people who are going to be here for the next five years and be part of this journey. But at the same time, they're going through this sort of hockey stick influx, right? They're going through this change or they want to. And certainly mm -hmm. the person that takes them from zero to 80, right, is different from the person that takes them from 81 to 120. And it's different from the person that goes 120, 121, 122. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that a lot of organizations have the insight to know the personality types that they're really looking for. And so I wonder how, how do you talk them through that? Because you're almost leading them through that process to say, hey, you want someone like me now, but you're not going to want me in five years. Um, well, what happens is um, the first time or two, it becomes like luck and learning in terms of what the results are. Yeah. But then, you know, when trends start happening and I see time and time and time again, from my journey and from the companies that I've worked with and the business units that I've worked with, it becomes more systematic. It becomes more quantitative. And so I can sit down with a general manager and say, this is the prototype of the people that I think that you need, at least in my experience, time and time again, it's become less risky and more um, real um, to, to bring on someone who's ready to break glass right now. You know, it depends. Like, are you a challenger brand? Are you trying to... Um, do something that's never been done before. Um, you know, it, it just, at a certain point in time, um, the, the, um, the most important part is leadership, right? Because regardless of whether you're hiring the subject matter experts, they're going to be taking on the tone and following the lead from the leadership team. And, um, and it's important to, um, to be aligned, but it's also important. Um, and it's, it's more than nuanced that if you're looking for people, um, who want to cut corners, then you'll find people that way. And maybe that's, that's a short term thing because it's going to catch up to you. Right. So doing it the right way, but making sure that you're, um, um, leading by example and not just hoping that some of your leaders are innovators. You know, you want to be innovative in, everything that you do, if that's part of it. So even if it's an accounts payable, what's the most innovative accounts payable, um, you know, function, how do we think of modernizing things? You know, because when you get as a, as a new employee or when I'm interviewing, I'm on the, when I'm being interviewed, um, I, I'm always, my antennas are up when people are interviewing me and they're giving me some examples and um, we're just having a good conversation. And they'll say, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. Um, or we already did that, or I don't think that'll work. So uh, a lot of that is the culture, you know, um, is it, is it something that, um, like, why would they be hiring someone new and looking for someone new if everything worked, right? It's okay to try different things. And also, yeah. um, time passages means that you can go back and try different things, you know, have a hypothesis, uh, you know, that type of stuff and see what you can do there. One of the things that I love, just love about C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. That's right. It's the people that help make this podcast go. It's the juice. It's the oil. It's the squeeze. It's the thing that makes it happen. So I would appreciate if you would take a listen to this sponsor today. Thanks for taking that quick listen. Very appreciated. Now let's get back to our conversation with Seth. One of the things that I'm, I'm also hearing from you is as you've looked at either being hired, um, recommending to other teams to build out the organization or bring people on yourself, 
one of the things you're looking at is personality traits beyond just looking at the skill set. Right. So I hear this from a lot of talent people. Some of them will come in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm being told that I have to go and get the best skill set. Like someone will say, I want the best engineer, or I want the best salesperson, or I want the most dynamic lead gen person, or I want someone who can build the best web pages. And so they're being forced into a bucket to go hire that person. It's based on skill set. And what they're not doing is looking at personality type or cultural fit or all some of those more nuanced things. And then what happens is six months down the road, you've got this toxic employee. Six months down the road, you've got a person who's got a personality clash with the rest of the organization because they're risk averse when they're asking them to be more risk focused, right? And so I love that you're thinking of this almost to give me the personality and finding the skill set secondary, right? To go higher and build your teams. Yeah, uh, Todd, I'd say uh, um, I've made mistakes with hiring and it's always harder to undo a mistake than to, um, you know, get 100% right. But um, it's just a, a, based on the numbers of people that I've hired. Um, it just reminds me, like, I'll use Intuit as an example. So when I was at TurboTax and you think about a business that does about a, a close to $2 billion, you know, in a four month window, right? And so it's like a movie opening where if you screw up, you're not gonna get a second chance. Um, when we were competing against, uh, um, I'll call them ankle biters, but actually a little bit higher up the, up the leg than an ankle <laughs> biter. Uh, whether it's H&R Block or Tax Act, um, what differentiates, because we all sell the same product type, but it's almost like a Simon Sinek, right? What do we believe in? Um, start with the why, but, but more importantly, when we're hiring people and they're on my team, um, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm a leader that, uh, they feel comfortable, um, communicating with there's different leadership styles. I'm not a command and control guy, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm more collaboration. And I just felt like hiring people that wanted to play almost like the golden state warriors. I'll use your, probably your team since you're in the Bay area. Right. Mm -hmm. The thing that even though I, I dislike them, I'll just put it that way because, um, <laughs> you know, there's right, uh, in the past, um, but they passed the ball a lot and, and it was beautiful. So when we're competing against um, these other entities and the, the commonality is some of the advertising places, whether it's Facebook or, you know, whatever it is, YouTube, Google. And I'm talking to the reps that also talk to our competition. Consistently, these people would say, your team is so much more highly engaged, so much more passionate. They're not dialing it in. You know, like some of these other companies or entities, it's like a nine to five job. But for my teams, it's, it's not even a work-life balance. It's a work-life integration. And that's because they want to. They, they're just so excited about that. And so I know, for example, like there's things going on creatively for me that I can't fall asleep at night because I, I can't wait until we can go execute this type of stuff. And so I just, it's very infectious. And if you can surround yourself with people that um, may not be the subject matter experts, but they'll learn and um, that's how bought in they are. Yeah. So as you're thinking about building out those teams and looking at those personality types and building people around you that fit into your leadership style, fit into the sort of culture and direction of the organization, or you're even building that out as you go, right? Because you've come in at early stages and been able to sort of help uh, cultivate that. As you were thinking about that, do you do you really even look at it as binary to say, look, I can teach the skill set, but I can't teach the personality types? I do. Uh, it's almost like um, it's in a hindsight thing. I try to, I try to probe for this during interviews uh, when I'm, when I'm trying to hire the right people. But I, again, I'll go back to Buckingham strengths finder and know that um, everybody spits out with five top strengths. And I, I don't want to be a basketball coach that has um, five point guards on the floor, right? So you definitely need somebody um, that covers different aspects. Uh, if, if you had five me's of Seth's, it would be scary and probably not as productive. You need somebody that's operational, you need organization, you know, you need some rigor, but, but you're right. I'm looking at behavioral, uh, you know, economics, 
rather than just like the subject matter. I think that uh, I've, I've, I'm, I've, I'm living proof that you can learn. You can learn a lot of the skills. I started out being a subject matter expert in search engine optimization and affiliate marketing, a lot of the, you know, generation one um, digital types of stuff. But um, I can still, it's like, you know, you learn a language, but it's more about, um, are these folks, you, you said it, are they somebody that I want to be around? Are they somebody that I'm going to, I know that I'm going to see them more than my family, more than my kids yeah. and my wife. And I just want to make sure that we're having fun. Let's just have fun, right? So the unemployment rate is so low. Why not go to work with a group and people that you like and that you respect and that you have fun? And so the last thing I'll say on this subject is I want to be treated. I want to treat people how I want to be treated. It hasn't always been that way. So um, I'd say that the two key words uh, with how to treat people are with respect and dignity. And I have not always been treated with respect and I've not always been treated um, with dignity in my career journey. And that's messed up. And, um, and so that's that, that I'm hypersensitive, uh, whether I mentor people um, or I lovingly torment or people. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just want to, uh, my antennas are up for culture. Again, uh, remarkable opportunity I'm looking for. And what is remarkable to me, number one, is that it has a, an amazing culture. Well, and, and I, I love how you brought that back. So one of the things that I think is key is if you're sitting here and you're listening and you're thinking through of, okay, I'm at this inflection point for my career. What do I do? Well, first, I think it's, you know, Tainoskam, uh, right? Know thyself, right? Know who you are. Know your strengths, your weaknesses. Know your abilities. Know what you're looking for. And then two, it's... It's come up with this, you know, you said it earlier, your definition of remarkable and mine might be different, but you've got to come up with your own remarkable, Like, right? What is it that I want at this next stage? Do I want to go and grow something again? Do I want to be an advisor behind the scenes? Do I want to help somebody break into a new market? Do I want an 18-month journey or do I want an 18-year journey? Like, what, what do those things look like for me? And once you establish those things, then I think you've got this opportunity, like you're doing to walk in and almost talk people out of it. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's who I am. Here's what I'll do. Might be a little scary for you, but at least I know what I am and what I'm looking for. And you're not wasting people's time along the way. You're not poking at it and going, well, maybe I could kind of fit in here. And I'm a little bit of a square peg round hole. You're looking at it like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be the perfect round hole for the perfect company that's looking for, you know, my size of leader. Well, a lot of times they don't know what they, what they don't know. And so they just want uh, a strong voice to at least put up a, um, t have a take and they can react to that take. And, and this is what I can do. I can say, look, if you end up choosing my take, this is what you can expect in the first year. And this is what you can expect in the second year. This is what your what your uh, you know, if we agree about the strategy, this is what the execution is going to look like. I have done this with my teams time and time again. So hmm. it's less random, but um, you know, there's a, there's a book that you should um, check out if you haven't. It's called Beyond Product. It's by Todd, <laughs> Todd Wilms. It's excellent. It's, fant it's one of the best things I've ever written. Well, I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for the movie. Actually. So, um, no, but from, from uh, what I've read from it so far, which is great, is that um, there are founders that are looking and yearning for this. And then there's others that aren't. And so I've seen um, with my current um, situation, I've been meeting with a lot of founders and when they get marketing up front, the sooner rather than be a later on bolt on, Oh, what are we going to do now? Oh, let's, let's find a marketing you know, person. Um, it's more strategic up front. And I think that you have to do less retrofitting, but um you know, again, I'm talking to two different constituents, again, whether it is a founder of a startup or whether it is a CEO of a Fortune 100, I've worked closely with both of them. And um, it's really about how they think, regardless of what their um, resources are. Well, and this is, uh, and we can move off of this, I think, here in a second and, and uh, talk about a couple other things before we have to close. But one of the things I think is interesting, and I've, I've 
run across this myself a few times. When you're having a conversation with a hiring manager or founder or whoever the leader is that you're coming in, if you see that they have sort of misjudged the situation of what they need, like I hear this a lot where you go into an organization, they're like, we need a CMO. And I'm looking at them like, no, what you're really looking for is a director of marketing. Like you're, you're five steps away from a CMO. And I don't know who told you you needed a CMO or if you just thought you needed one, but this isn't the stage you're in. Do you give them that insight that sort of like free consulting and say, Hey, look, here's, here's what you really need at that stage or do you just let it pass and then move on to the next opportunity? Um, it's natural for people to think that they might need a CMO when they don't um, just because they perceive uh, their company might be ready for one. It's uh, uh, it's really about um, almost a math problem, right? Because what are the resources and what is the scope that you need somebody that you're calling a CMO? These are all just job titles, but what is that person going to do? Yeah. Is it is it more growth hacking? Um, it just depends. And I do think, again, maybe there's some things that you might, as a, as a business leader, be more akin to hiring somebody um, on a project basis. So don't sign up a CMO um, just because you need positioning. Positioning is something that like a CMO, uh, hopefully a good one, will, will, can really make a huge difference in, in partnering with the leadership team. But maybe it's just like a project. Um, but then after you're positioned, you're still that 10, 20, $30 million company trying to grow. You got to make sure your growth hackers and your demand gen team are going to be more successful because you've gone through the process and evolution yeah. of positioning your company better. But you might not need that, that expensive headcount right early on. Perfect. Okay, so I want to spend a little time just shifting just a little and talking a little bit about, you know, you and the sort of evolution of your career and how it's led you to this place that you're at now, right? So I talked about this at the beginning of you've, you've kind of ebbed and flowed right? Consulting and then come back in. And, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the progression of those and the change that you've gone through of moving between these sort of like corporate entities and then going off and doing your own thing. Because I think this is one of those things where I, I hear this a lot from leaders. Oh, I've, I've just been in this box. I've got to break out of this box. Like I've just been in into it for seven years I got to go do something else. I've just been at, you know, SAP for seven years. I got to go someplace else. And, and you've gone and done that. So talk a little bit about, you know, making those steps or how you went about it. Did it just happen to you? What did you learn along the way? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, it depends on the situation, but um, overall, I think that it's human nature to typecast people, typecast yourself. And when you're forced to break out of that mold, whether it's because um, you were ripped out of a job or you decide to change things, um, you know, think about like, I've had managers before, one of my managers at Intuit, he actually started out as a in finance, uh, as a, like a CFO, then he became a CMO, and now he's an HR guy, right? And this is all, you know, at Intuit. Um, hmm. and, and so he's reinvented himself a few different times. For me personally, um, it's very situational, right? So starting up from film school, graduate film school, working in the entertainment industry, um, even within there, uh, if you watch Entourage, I was a Lloyd, then I became an Ari, right? And so when I was um, on a desk, um, I would have uh, a boss, I'll just tell you a quick story. So I had a boss who um, was in the process of, uh, and she was really, really tough which is fine, um, but, you know, really rough around the edges, sharp elbows, very toxic, uh, um, just part of a typical what you see, stereotypical uh, as an entertainment industry um, uh, person. And I'm used to that type of stuff. Um, it's kind of like hazing, you know, in a fraternity. And so there was one instance where she um, uh, was getting fired by Johnny Depp. His manager was on the phone. And so she was not going to have, she's not having a good day. And I, I knew that I was not going to have a good day. And so um, she hangs up the phone, she got fired. And I hang up the phone because I'm about 10 feet away from her listening in as an assistant does, a trainee does. And she looks at her desk 
and she finds an orange there and she just whips it at me, right? So it hits me in the chest, bounces off my chest. I catch this orange. I look at her. She looks at me. She's really upset. I'm kind of freaked out. And she says, peel it. And I said, excuse me? And she says, peel it. And so I don't know what to do, right? So am I going to throw it back at her? I'm going to tell her F off. What am I going to do? She does my thinking for me. And I've already been like in the mailroom for a year. And, you know, this is a pretty prestigious desk to be on. And she says, she says, my clients can fire me. My husband can divorce me. But if you want to be a fucking agent at this agency, you better peel that orange. And so I'm thinking, you know, she does my thinking for me. I'm like, okay, that path of least resistance. So I start peeling it and she goes, faster, faster, right? And so it's just an example of <laughs> no, getting shit done and not having a thick skin and going with the flow. You know, I ended up being an agent and, you know, I never wanted, I never chose to treat people like that. But um, um, it, it, it's, it's, that's, that's an example of what served me well because there's no uh, political situation I can get into right now that's, that's more tougher than that industry or I haven't had anyone throw fruit at me since <laughs> way back then. But, you know, in terms of like reinventing yourself, um, whether it's being an agent, being a screenwriter, which I was a little bit after that, or uh, just jumping on the internet bandwagon, right? So I want to get out of the entertainment industry. And when the internet bubbled up, I'm like, hey, let's try this. So I left all the equity that I, I earned um, in the entertainment industry and just jumped on board um, internet. And from there, entrepreneur, uh, corporate, but, but having what makes me tick never, never change, right? I'm very persistent, um, love um, challenges, and um, hopefully uh, I'm courageous and, and, and show people that it's okay to, to screw up. Well, there's a couple of things from that story. I mean, so there's the details of the fruits of throwing, right? But there's, but there's also the something of, okay, you, you made it through that scenario, right? You, you, you made it out alive. Yeah. Um, you didn't die by fruit attack. And, and so this was this opportunity for you to grow from that. No, this is something you didn't want to do, right? Like, okay, right. I didn't like the way that my parents raised me. I'm going to I'm going to do something different with my kids, right? So you mm -hmm. found that this was a leadership style that didn't work for you. Now you're going to evolve and do something different for your leadership style. So that evolves you along the way, but it also teaches you that you can withstand that. You can withstand that hazing or that sort of sharp elbowedness of a leader and go in and go do something different and evolve. And then also, again, this plays into everything we were talking about before. You're a learner. You want to take risks. You want to try new things. So you're not afraid to go, hey, maybe I'll just leave the entertainment industry. I'll get out of my box. I'll break out of my comfort zone and the typecasting that I've put myself in and others have put me in. Right. Now I'm going to go do something different. I'm going to go try that. But it, again, it comes all the way back to what we talked about at the very beginning, really knowing yourself and knowing your personality type and saying, I can take these kind of risks where someone else might go, oh, no, 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 no. I want to, I want to stay in this because this is my chosen profession and this is who I am and I can't think of myself outside of that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I'd say one of the things that I'm looking back right now is that if you look at like my network along the way, even from the entertainment industry, from film school, from when I was a camp counselor in high school, um, <laughs> I cherish my network. And I, I think that there's a lot of folks that I would work for again in a heartbeat. And, and I'm sure that there's a, a lot of uh, folks that would want to work with me again, too. And so there's a through line there as finding the people in your career that uh, you can really um, know who they are, know who their family is, um, catch up if you haven't spoken to them in a year or two, and you can you get on the phone, it's like you've never missed a day or a beat. And so yeah. I love building a network of, uh, because let's, again, let's make sure that this journey is fun and it's respectful, you know, and, um, and it's just a, a learning um, that keeps everybody young and fresh. Love it. Okay. We're going to start wrapping up here because this time goes by really fast. And, uh, and I think I could have you on and do an entire conversation around the network, right? Cause that, that is a really important one that I think a lot of executives get wrong. Uh, I've talked a number of times about Karen Wickery who's come on and written a book on networking and she talks about sort of 
going beyond just thinking of this as building your Rolodex, right? But really thinking of this group of advisors and people around you that help shape and guide and grow your career. And then finding that tribe of people that help support you along the way that has that relationship of five years can go by, but you pick up the phone and you feel like you haven't missed a beat, right? Mm-hmm. right so a couple of things that I heard as we were talking, and I loved how we started with this idea that, you know, you you reach a stage in your career where you you have the opportunity to really think and contemplate what your next steps are. And it's not based off of some either age-based or time-bound thing of like, oh, gosh, I just lost my job. I got a mortgage payment coming up. I got to find something, right? You're in this place of contemplative energy of thinking about what it is you want to do next. Mm-hmm. And what you've done is come back to these two principles, which we've talked about a few times. What is your definition of what you want? Your version of remarkable, right? What is it that you're looking for and how do you define that? Mm-hmm. Everyone might do it differently. And then really knowing who you are and understanding what your strengths and weaknesses and your values are. And what I've found on that one in particular that's interesting is a lot of leaders want to be something else. You know, you hear sort of this um, fortune cookie wisdom of like, be yourself. There's only one person in the world like you. You are unique. You're your own snowflake. Embrace that. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's real power there and there's real truth to that because while you might want to be a big dynamic leader, you might want to be that big, big bombastic personality. Maybe you want to be a ball buster, but if you're not wired that way, you're never going to be that person. You're going to be miserable trying to be that. You might want to be with that rocket ship company that takes these huge risks and goes off and does something. But if you're a risk averse person, it doesn't matter. You're going to be uncomfortable in that role and realize that that's not fit for you. So I loved your insight to knowing who you are and what you're looking for and being able to pair that up. Mm -hmm. And then what I think that does for you and would do for anybody else is gives you the opportunity to um, make sure that the alignment is there. When you're sitting down and talking to that CEO, you're talking to that that key leader, you're talking to your hiring manager and saying, look, company aligns to what I'm looking for. Do you align to what I'm looking for? And here's what I bring to the table. And let's make sure that there's a fit there and versus just, oh, are they going to make me an offer across my fingers? Mm-hmm. And then I think the other piece that you identified for you, and I love this idea of typecasting. I think we all fall into these gutters, these ruts, and we sort of follow along that path because it is path of least resistance. People see us this way and we see ourselves this way, but you've been able to sort of navigate and work your way through that, knowing who you are, what your, your role is. And I think this is key for a lot of leaders as well. Are you in a rut because you put yourself there? Are you in a rut because you've let people put yourself there? And how do you break out of that? And what does that look like? And it goes back to those, what do I want and who do I, who am I and how do all those things fit together? Well, um, just to that point, you reminded me like last week I was talking to a recruiter and she said, well, this job, this CMO job needs to be 75% demand gen, right? Because I said, there's like 10 different attributes or 12 different attributes of what a successful CMO is, but there's no purple squirrel. There's no one that has all 12 12 of them at the top level. So here's where I'm good at. Here's where I'm not good at. So to your point, you just remind me, I said, look, you just said, that you want 75%, you know, uh, of, uh, in a, out of a hundred index of somebody that really knows demand gen, I'm 49%. So maybe we should not continue talking. I'm 51% creative, 49% demand gen, at least, you know, that's how I kind of see myself. And by the end of that conversation, she's like, Oh my gosh, no, I actually think that you're even more interesting than, you know, it's <laughs> I talked about this earlier in the conversation of, maybe like having people being not so stubborn and being able to change their views on ways of things that they're looking for. But, you know, you just brought up an interesting um, point that was recent for me. Well, and the thing I'll close with, and then we're going to have to get off here, but uh, the, the thing I'll close with is what I also find in doing what you've just done and the way you described yourself is as, as a candidate But also as a leader, it puts you in a really enviable position because you're helping to drive, sometimes even dictate the conversation where you you have a strong sense of who you are and what you can do. Mm -hmm. And people may come in and go, oh, wait a minute, I have to actually rethink this. You're really interesting to me versus I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And I think a lot of executives sort of fall into that. Like, oh, yeah, I can I can do that. Like of those 12 attributes in marketing, 
yeah, I, I could do all 12 of those, but I know that I'm not good at all 12, right? And so your strong sense of self, I think, really plays into helping establish these next new opportunities for you. Well, I've been looking at lateral stuff and maybe a couple of CEO type of stuff, but I actually think about myself as a business partner who happens to know the marketing function. So if you're looking for a CMO, that's great, but let's talk about what your business problems are first, and then I can help you execute in that function. Perfect. All right, Seth, thank you for hopping on today. Loved the conversation, knew I was going to, but this was a lot of fun. Uh, We threw some good sports analogies in there. We had a great orange story, but a lot of really good insights in terms of, um, you know, being able to evolve and take control of your career and look at new opportunities and what those, those going into evolving into something really looks like. So uh, great sage wisdom, fantastic conversation. And I'd love to have you back at some point. We can talk about networking and building your tribal. We'll do uh, Seth part two. So thanks, so thanks again. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining and, and every success in your next endeavor. We'll, we'll watch with bated breath when we see the LinkedIn update on what you're doing next. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening. I really loved hearing what Seth had to say, his points of view, his insight, and really this idea of transition happens throughout your career and knowing who you want to work for, why you want to work for them, uh, what's the right opportunity, and even his point of view of trying to talk people out of it, that he wants to make sure he's the right fit for the long term, that he works, and that he's helping to educate, steer, guide, and and give insight to the uh, founders, CEOs, executives that he's been working with. Absolutely fantastic. You know, he really understands this idea that he's looking for remarkable, and it's what's remarkable for him. Not for you, not for anybody else, but for him. And so for each of us, there's this opportunity to think about what is it the thing that's remarkable for me? Is it money? Is it commute distance? Is it the product I'm working on? Is it the people I work for? Is it an opportunity to go and grow into a new market or a new geography? Do I get to travel or do I not have to travel? What is it or the what are the things, the levers that are making this remarkable for you? And he really asked that question and asked it well, and it's one to take with you as you think about your next transition. If you'd like to follow Seth, and I suggest you do, easiest place is on Twitter, and that's Seth G, S-E-T-H-G, and that's on Twitter. You can also find him on uh, LinkedIn, and that's Seth Greenberg, B-E-R-G, that's B-E-R-G, easy to find the man. Um, If you're also interested and you're thinking about transitions, a great way to do that is to get a copy of the Beyond Product Book. That's right. The Beyond Product Book is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at your favorite retailer. Get a copy today and you can learn about the five stages of organizations, how to work those organizations through, and what it's like after exit, what it's like after you leave and start thinking about that next new opportunity in your life. Thanks again for listening this week. We hope to hear you next week when we start our series on CEOs. Stay tuned. It will be a good one. Thanks. See you next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, a place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.